1: Hi, Christina. Hi, Chelsea. How's it going? Remember last week when I said that my answer to that question is just one long scream? Hmm. still my answer. All right. That's fair. That's valid. Yeah. 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 What a what a year
0: this week has been. We've been saying that since this year started. I know. For different reasons. I For feel reasons. like October is bringing it. It's you know how like at the beginning of the year in January everything was happening at once. Yeah. October is like
1: January too, right? But October is also trying to trying to re- redeem itself.
0: October is January, like the re- it's the reverse January.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's people uh, finally seeing the consequences of the hubris a
0: bit. Oh, I had to. That remind, sorry, I had to text my mom something. I forgot that I was talking to my <laughs> mother earlier today, and I was describing to her what was happening because I was telling her about the all the all the stuff that was going on politically because she had everything. Heard, she hadn't heard about some of the news. For those of you who are uh, listening to this, perhaps in the future, this podcast is being recorded the day that our president, Donald Trump, said that he, he
1: said that so hesitantly.
0: <laughs> Donald, No, it wasn't he- with hesitation. It was with disdain. Uh, Fair. That our president, Donald Trump, said that he uh, didn't have COVID anymore. He's fine now, I guess. And he just left the hospital.
1: Yeah. Spoiler alert. That's the entirety of this. It's almost the entirety of the Bummersville. sometimes today. But go on, Christina. I was telling my mom because she was talking about like, God, can't we just have like
0: just certain people get the disease and die and we move on? Right. And uh, I was saying that this would be the part if this was a Greek play where the chorus comes out and says like, and thus the hubris of their own actions got to them and was their downfall. And right. my mom started cackling at that. Amazing. Because uh, I don't think she uses the word hubris nearly as much as I do. And she said, can you text that to me? <laughs> so I forgot to do it. So let me text my mom that real quick.
1: Okay. Okay. I've done it. Thank you for being patient. Okay. No problem. But yeah, this is... Uh, Colts, cryptids, conspiracies, I don't even know what the fuck anymore. And man's hubris. Man's hubris, yeah.
0: It's cults, cryptids, conspiracies, and man's hubris. It doesn't start with a scene. Cons- it is no, the no, thing. no.
1: Hang on. The consequences of man's hubris.
0: That works. Okay. Colts, cryptids, and the consequences of man's hubris. I yes. like that one. I feel like that's the sequel movie uh, yeah. where everything just goes real bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's this whole year.
0: Correct. Yeah, before we get into the sometimes before we do that, welcome everyone for real to Colts Cryptid. I I, I don't know what you were about to say, but welcome no, everyone. That's exactly
1: I was prompting okay, great. you.
0: Great, great, great. Welcome to Colts, Cryptids and Conspiracies, the podcast where we discuss everything that is weird, spooky, mysterious and or humorous in history and today. There's been a lot of today recently and a lot of recent history, and there has not been as much like spooky there's been mostly just like depressing,
1: but right. in an informative That's m- way. Mostly me. Yeah. In
0: like an informative way.
1: Yeah. The way we like. I've done this to myself. You did. This was your hubris. Yeah. By the way, if Trump dies, which we'll get into that in a second, the uh, QAnon folks have already got uh, an explanation for that. Queued up. I thought Actually, you were going to say that they had a successor in place. Well, Kind of. Well, so they've already been touting the claim that Trump actually uses clones. Wow. Because he is far too valuable uh, to humanity. And therefore, like there have been several assassination attempts already, but that the clones have died and not him. So like, he's fine. On the opposite end of that spectrum, there is also a claim that uh, Trump and Biden are both dead Mm -hmm. and that the last debate was all deep fake. From QAnon. Both of these are from QAnon.
0: So QAnon is both saying that Trump's too smart to ever go out in public for real and that he has somehow a cadre of clones. Yes. Which uh, brings so many questions. Yeah. Um, but the secondly, same people also saying that he's already dead somehow.
1: Well, remember, QAnon, unfortunately, is vast. So these are different people, but adhering to the same philosophy. How does their how does their philosophy stand up if Donald Trump is dead? Uh, I guess that would be uh, evil wins in their in their mind. Mal and I have taken to calling 2020 the timeline in which Link has died in Ocarina of Time and Ganon has taken over Hyrule, because I don't know if anyone else out there is as into Zelda lore as I am, but uh, there are like three or four different timelines that branch off from ocarina of time and go into different games
0: insert the brian david gilbert video where he (laughs) explains all of the legend of zelda timelines are we in the basketball timeline
1: (laughs) um yeah i would say it's similar to the basketball timeline all right okay Uh, but there is actually because technically there's like a fourth possible timeline where he dies uh-huh. which would also which would i guess just be he fails yeah, yeah. that would be the basketball timeline the basketball timeline if somebody yeah. can
0: get Brian David Gilbert on this <laughs> podcast i would adore that actually if uh me too there's two people who i probably would die three people i would die happy if we did a crossover with one of them is Brian okay. David Gilbert
1: okay okay we just last night rewatched and then also we rewatched the uh Every Zelda recipe video because that Wonderful. delights me every single time I watch yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. I'm by the way replaying Breath of the Wild right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we also watched a few of the videos that he's done during quarantine, which were also delightful. And if you haven't watched them, mwah mwah, Chef especially Kiss. Especially need to watch the Halo one. <laughs> I
0: the God the ha- I read every Halo novel book was uh, <laughs> was a trip and a half. But also here's the thing: this is a little part where the paranormal spoiler. Uh, I have become that. Because I just finished reading Midnight Sun, and I yeah. have opinions about Twilight now. And yes. I I found myself yelling at your baby boy, my lovely roommate Christina, about it. Like, yelling to her about Midnight Sun and the inconsistencies and in my opinions about the plot of Twilight. Yeah. And I could not physically stop myself.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad I have both you and uh, Mal Because without you guys, I don't know where all this Twilight information would go that I have forcibly put into my brain. Yeah.
0: But I I know so much about
1: Twilight now. I can't not say it. It is. These are our Halo novels. Yeah. Luckily, not as many. Although if Stephanie Meyer has anything to say about it. Uh, You're not wrong. Anyway. So on to the Bummersville sometimes. All right, guys. So let's start off. Let's start off with some things that are going around on Twitter that I'm like, oh, oh, God. Trump was diagnosed officially with COVID on, I believe it was Thursday night. There there are some discrepancies as to when the positive test actually came through, although whichever timeline you're looking at, it does, it it pretty much, he definitely tested positive and then still went out and did something. Don't know how many things, don't know when exactly that happened, but he definitely at least went to some kind of Buffet lunch. Yes, there was the a Republican timeline. Donors.
0: There was a timeline that I saw got released. I believe the official announcement of his positive test came out on the second.
1: Well, yeah. So the official announcement came out. Uh, it was like one a.m. on the east yeah. coast because they were forced to make it. It was like but, one a.m. Friday, October
0: second. Yeah. But he was he was diagnosed on the Thursday, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was diagnosed though, and they were going to keep it a secret. That was their official plan was to not tell anyone. Journalists leaked it and they had to address it. But after he tested positive, he still went to a buffet lunch with with other other Republicans. Without
0: wearing masks.
1: Without wearing masks. And again, buffet style. Uh, However, everything is pretty much uh, going back to the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, who we talked about last week, who is a psycho. And my favorite, my actual favorite part of this is that everyone is like, oh, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last words. Uh, they were a threat. <laughs>
0: this is, this was a warning.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so a lot of people on the tweeters are from both the left and the right are saying that Trump is faking having COVID and like, look, guys, I understand. I totally get where you're coming from. We've been gaslit and lied to so often these last four years and even before that. But he he definitely has COVID because first of all, he he does not look good. <laughs> okay, but did he ever? He looks worse the fair. And not only that, but it's uh it's definitely a hit to his ego. What's been going on? Cuz people are like, "Oh, he's only doing it to gain sympathy." I'm like, "No, he doesn't want to gain sympathy. He wants to appear strong. Mm-hmm. That's why they've admittedly been pumping him full of fucking steroids to get him out on camera. He does not look good, guys. He definitely has COVID. And there are quite a few reasons why that is, but anyway, for the people out there who may be being like, I don't think he actually has COVID. Again, I understand you. I get where you're coming from. No, he does. He super does. And apparently, according to according to Claudia Conway, the daughter of Kellyanne Conway, the 15 or 16 year old daughter of Kellyanne and George Conway. Um, it's a lot worse than they're saying it is, which I believe that because he posted some videos today and I'm like, that's that man is not well.
0: Can you say, again, this is something that I uh, heard from my mother in the discussion this morning that we had, where she was saying that the reason, I'm not completely up on the goings and comings of Kellyanne Conway, but she said mm-hmm. that the reason that Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway stepped down was because she made this pact with her husband to save their marriage because he was working for the opposition. Right. But part of that pact was the agreement that she could go to the Rose Rose Garden Celebration. Where she
1: contracted COVID. Yeah. Uh, everything is going back to that celebration. I don't I don't know. I actually haven't heard that part. I know she announced she was stepping down very shortly after Claudia said that she was seeking an emancipation. Right. So Who knows, like there's a lot of family things going on with the Conways. I hope Claudia can get away because she seems like a good egg and an agent of chaos, which I love.
0: (laughs) I don't, I can't, definitely can't speak to the family situation for the Conways. I definitely don't want to speculate, but God, the pure dramatic irony of it being like, no, no, honey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be an advisor to the president anymore, I promise, but I just wanna, I need to go to this last celebration in the Rose Garden. (laughs)
1: And then she gave all of her family COVID. In fact, Kellyanne and Conway... And she gave her
0: family COVID.
1: Kellyanne Conway also did not announce she had COVID. Her daughter announced it for her on TikTok. And then yep. she had to come out and be like, yeah, I tested positive for COVID. Yep. Yeah. There are three Republican senators so far that have tested positive, although a lot of people are saying there are probably more positives in that group that just aren't sharing with it, which does seem like a possibility. Maybe a bit conspiracy-ish, but... It it, there's like a lot of gray area right now with who's positive and who isn't. It's really kind of up in the air and it's a very contagious disease. Everyone wear a mask and stay inside as much as you can. Anyway, along with that, apparently on the 2nd of October, when it was announced that Trump had tested positive, there were like the, quote, doomsday planes That were mobilized on both the East and the West Coast. And basically, these are the planes that are like the mobile nuclear apocalypse units that like if a nuclear attack happened, then they would retaliate because they're in the air and they wouldn't be hit. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people were like, oh, the president is weak and therefore we are more susceptible to... An attack, and that's why they're there. I'm not going to sleep tonight. Apparently, that had been pre-planned. Like, those doomsday, quote-unquote, planes, they were just doing a pre-planned exercise. It has nothing to do with the fact that Trump was sick.
0: Also, like, just because the president's weak doesn't mean that the country
1: is not prepared to be attacked.
0: Yeah. Like, the president being in the hospital doesn't mean
1: that suddenly no one's watching. (laughs) Right. I mean, obviously, Pence watching is just as horrifying to all of us, but... Yeah, it's not. No. Um, What else? uh, There's just there's just so many people who are coming down with COVID. We don't actually know the number. The I could go on and on about this, but I'm going to stop just like because it's too much and leave on a fun note for the Bummersville sometimes, which is there is a rumor going around that a plane disappeared and landed 37 years later. Pan Am flight 914. This is False. The strange story of Pan Am 914 is frequently shared by UFO blogs and conspiracy-minded websites as if it has been stumping the experts for decades. But the unsolved event reportedly involves a plane that took off from New York in 1955 with 57 passengers, disappeared for 37 years, and then reappeared and landed in Miami as if nothing had happened. But apparently it's just like a – it's a weekly world news thing, guys. And it keeps popping up every once in a while. It pops up that that this plane disappeared and came back. Weekly World News is not, a; it's not really a newspaper. (laughs) It's like a made-up story that just keeps coming back, essentially. It's a made-up story that keeps coming back. Do not trust Weekly World News for anything. They've republished the story quite a few times. They republished it in 93 and 99, and now apparently it came back again last year, and now it's coming back again because we have nothing else to fucking do with our time. But... It's just not it's not a thing. There's no newspaper archives about the disappearance of a plane. There's nothing that comes up about Pan Am Flight 4- 914 unless it's this specific thing about it disappearing then reappearing. But apparently it's it's the plot of a Twilight Zone episode. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, leaving it leaving it on one of those. Mwah, those those great conspiracies, those chef's kiss of conspiracies that really don't bother us, and that pyramid that we keep getting tagged in—it's right Jeez. there down at the bottom, it, or like in the middle. It doesn't fucking matter. Mostly harmless. It is mostly harmless. All right, so
0: shall we move on to the correspondence and corrections, Chelsea? I think we shall. So starting, of course, with Twitter, as we always do. We are thanking our meme lord Kino for sending us not a meme. But for an update about the Breonna Taylor case,
1: yeah, that's another clusterfuck that's happening. Yep. Uh, so the the gist of it is because it's it's kind of a long explanation. But if you don't know, in the Breonna Taylor case, uh, Breonna Taylor is a an EMT who was murdered in her home by police. There was an indictment that came out, but. Only one of the officers involved was indicted, and it wasn't it was basically for the shots that he missed, because it was for the for endangerment of the apartments next door, and the other two officers involved were not indicted. There's a whole thing about having the actual proceedings of the grand jury released, and the attorney general, who was the one that decided not to press charges about Breonna Taylor's murder, is trying to block it. So it's a whole like fight to get all those stuff. But apparently, the the grand jury has said that they weren't even given the option to indict them for murder. They were only given the option for wanton endangerment.
0: Yeah, it looks like the entire proceedings of like what happened, the whole case, was, was purposefully like, kept from the grand yeah. jury, it kind of seems yeah. like. So, mm. yeah! Racism in America, always fun. <clears throat> yup. On a lighter note, at Robbins Lacey... Sends us, uh, is this is supposed to be a meme, but it's kind of calling us out for what we do. Uh, That's true. Which is, my cat is cuter than yours, fight me. Responding with, haha, my ruse is successful and now I have hundreds of super cute animal pictures to look at when I'm down. You stupid idiots fell right into my
1: trap. I love it. We have a whole Discord channel for pet pictures. Yes, the fools just give us their pet pictures for free. Yes. Well, actually they pay us to give us their pet pictures. <laughs> the fools. No, we adore your pet
0: pictures. Please don't yeah. stop sending them. We love them.
1: And then at Aku Tenshi sends us a really fucking creepy doll. A very creepy doll. A creepy cheerleader doll. Apparently the only doll they own, which is in like a it's like a cheerleader in a coffin. Yep. It's a it's like a vampire cheerleader. Yep. Named Kitty.
0: Thank you, MKT Purple Cran for the meme. Blep. Blep. <laughs> Thank you to East of the Fox for sending us a update on Seagram's C- is that uh what's his name? I can't words. It's Nixium. Yeah, I was I was trying to think of what the dude's name was. Keith Renair. No, yes, it was Keith Renery. But uh okay. the the it's somebody else. There's a there's a woman who is like one of the higher-ups who was
1: the one who's actually being sentenced for this. Okay. That's not Allison Mack. Uh, That's not yeah, Allison basically, Mack. basically, there's a lot of people being sentenced right now in the Nexium case. Claire Bronfman. Bromfman, okay. Bromfman.
0: I can't talk. That's her name. I was just reading from the article. Yeah, she's being sentenced. She's one of the higher ups in Nexium who's being sentenced for the, hum- like the branding thing. Remember, Matt will insert the Nexium episode here.
2: That'd be episode fifty.
1: We have a couple of those actually. Yeah. Apparently, so there is a reality bending chasm Chasm. that appeared, chasm, I can talk, that appeared in Microsoft Flight Simulator's version of Brazil, but then someone says that location exists. It's the birthplace of the Brazilian uh, folklore creature named Chupa uh, something in not English. (laughs) And it licks the ass of strangers without asking It is one of the most feared creatures in Brazil's folklore. That's great. I need to look this up. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't think it's real,
1: but... I don't think so either, but I wish to look this... I want this to be birthed from the internet. Yes. I wish
0: I wish for this to be sort of like the Finland isn't real thing. I wish for this to come... Or
1: Slenderman, but like yeah. less murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Several people tagged us. Several people tagged
0: us. Uh, I would like to thank Captain Taco for giving us a recommendation for a book to read for part of the paranormal. It is not fantasy, but it is called Kissing the Coronavirus,
1: which is great. No, that's that's several people tagged us about this book. Is oh, what that, was that's what you're saying? Great. Yeah. Several people tagged us about this book. We're not reading this book. <laughs> we're not reading this book. <laughs> it's not that long and it's not it's not a supernatural romance novel. So no, it doesn't count. But it is great. So thank you for that.
0: Thank you to at c r r or r I can't words r r c camo v who r c r camo v words and letters not my strong yep. suit who uh sh- shouted out our podcast said it was one of their favorites thank you so much thank you thank you to Kino for space news space liquid water that flows on today's Mars don't drink it don't that would be bad that would be not good. Thank you to Kazrun Kazrun, for sending uh, an article, a scholarly article, it looks like,
1: about coronavirus
0: misinformation for us.
1: Yep, there's a lot. And at Niblick the Third says, listening to the new episode and just got to pause with the reminder that England, don't listen to this, isn't a great name for the Brexit episode because the UK is not just England and Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland are just as fucked as we are. That is, I, I, nor, Northern Ireland, possibly more so. We don't need more Bloody Sundays, guys. No.
0: Uh, Niblick also says that they're not looking forward to the episode necessarily, but do want to hear it. But also, latest twist, Parliament, having voted to break international law, now expresses surprise that the EU intends to sue us for breaching international law.
1: Yeah, see, Mal and I are looking at countries to move to or immigrate to after the fall of the empire, if if it so should happen. And I'm real bad at other languages, as is evidenced by every episode of this podcast. And so it sucks that with all the English speaking countries that there are, I have to completely nix Britain entirely. Yeah, the UK is just kind of like, sorry. The UK is just as fucked. At Little Miss, Redma gives us
0: some re-democratic governors in the South. Governors yeah. in the South tend to be more blue dog. I come from a long line of quote unquote Democrats who are the are that only because of the unions, uh, but are racist, sexist, homophobic assholes.
1: Yeah, I have. I remember hearing about blue dog Democrats in the South or or, so, or they were called Southern Democrats as well. Where they're um, like not really Democrats or like they're not really liberal, but they're Democrats. They're not liberal. They're Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. And then our Sylvie correspondent, Dr. Sylvie Kilgallen, says that the whole thing is they think they can lower taxes and lower the deficit because they want to completely gut public spending because fuck everyone, but especially poor people. So they take less tax, put even less money into the public spending and use it to pay down the deficit instead. Well, yes, that is definitely part of their platform. The problem with that is still that there are a whole bunch of because this group is also a lot older. So Social Security and Medicare is not to be touched still. So it's like any social program that benefits them is still not to be touched because that's their right. Uh, So it still doesn't make any sense because we still put uh, an embarrassingly lack of funds into everything except for the military, which they also don't want to stop the spending on. Nope. So that's why it really doesn't make any sense.
0: No, no, it does not. We also have East the Fox sending us an article from NPR about how the House is to vote to condemn QAnon
1: conspiracy theories. Uh, Yeah. See how uh, that pans out. Well, there were a few House members that voted against it. And when you look at the list, you won't be surprised at all. Yeah. So fuck all those guys. And again, there's the conspiracy chart that is now going around from Abby Richards. Abby Richards would be interesting to have on our podcast. I mean, she's been doing this whole thing
0: she's i mean she's clearly spent a decent amount of time looking up what conspiracies there are and the new infographic looks very nice so thank you it for does this look work. very nice yeah thank you for this work i believe that's all for twitter yep so let's go to some emails Email. we don't have a lot i do just want to give a shout out to maddie and the zoo maddie's zoo of animals we have <laughs> uh several good pets here I was also, let me see here. Uh, I was wondering if you'd be interested in seeing pictures of the beautiful but creepy abandoned house that my boyfriend and I stumbled across in one of our little adventures through the Florida woods. Yes, Chelsea, I live in Florida. Yes, it's a humid hellhole. And I can't say your distaste for the state is invalid.
1: Every time we get someone tweeting or emailing or tweeting at us from Florida, they always call me out specifically, which I don't feel is fair because we both call out. Florida equally but also they also always say fair I don't know if we call out Florida equally <laughs> you did a whole episode on Florida man I did but the
0: the the thesis of that episode was that I don't know why it's ca- people pick on Florida for it because there's no reason why it's Florida specifically because everywheres weird fair that was the thesis of that but Maddie has several big great dogs there's a big brown boy named gator there's a little brown boy named max there is a big yellow boy named cooper and there is day the horse so yay thank you for all of these good dogs and horse
1: we have from the international pages peter who says hi ladies ghost of mal and bummersville residents For some more serious political discourse as a change of pace from the parody of the AstroTurf Tea Party. AstroTurf is crossed out. May I suggest the Rhinoceros Party of Canada, the first political party I ever voted for. Some policy highlights. A candidate distributed condoms at her campaign events. Her slogan? Politics screw you. Protect yourself. Politicians screw you. Isn't that what I said? You said politics. Oh, okay. Which also not wrong. Annexing the United States in order to eliminate foreign control of Canada's natural resources repealing the law of gravity solid changing the currency to bubblegum in order to be able to control inflation and deflation at will Excellent. and most importantly promising to keep none of their promises if elected
0: you know at least they they're upfront they're upfront about it and that's a promise that we can trust they'll keep yeah and then lastly we have a, a link to a video from amber uh, i've seen these video this this person's videos before and they're they're pretty dang funny, so thank you for that, Amber.
1: Well, this one has Weird Al in it, so I haven't seen it yet, but I am intrigued because of Weird Al. Yes. Weird Al Yankovic, still a good dude. Still a very good dude. I
0: believe that's it for our correspondence and corrections, which means it is now time for a word from our sponsors.
3: With the Lucky Lands you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: The worst year
0: of humanity? There's a pandemic. There's fires worldwide. There is riots on the streets and facial recognition software that you want to avoid. And
1: if you also want to keep in your aesthetic, please go to chainstitchcreative.bigcartel.com where you will find lots of very cute masks. You'll find
0: hand-sewn cloth, reusable masks. They've got a pocket for a filter. They've got straps that go around your head real nice and don't squish your ears. And like Chelsea said, they're real cute. And the best part of it is, is that our listeners get a promo
1: code to chainstitchcreative.bigcartel.com to give them 20% off. That promo code is C19podcast. That's lowercase C19podcast, all lowercase. So once more, go to
0: chainstitchcreative.bigcartel.com, use our promo code C19podcast, And you can get 20% off your order of cute, hand-washable, machine-washable, all of the washable masks that you could ever want.
1: Yeah. All right, I have my embroidery out. Okay. And I am ready for whatever you're going to throw at me today, which hopefully is uh, an upbeat turn from everything I'm having to cover the last few weeks.
0: Is Is there a moment of the day when you don't have your embroidery out?
1: I actually, at this point, am only really embroidering during podcasting and during D&D. Okay. All right. That's fair. Because I'm replaying Breath of the Wild. Yes. And trying desperately to get a job. Fair. Valid. So to
0: go into this podcast today, I don't have any trigger warnings that I can think of. I don't have anything that I think would be especially like content warning-y, so that's great. Yay! Uh, There is just general... Bureaucratic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Bureaucratic incompetence, perhaps? I mean, that's just the theme of life right now. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So in episode 50 of this podcast, Send Nudes to the Men in Black, we discussed the Maury Island incident. During that podcast, I brought up a man named Kenneth Arnold. Kenneth Arnold had seen flying saucers basically the same week as the Maury Island incident. And when I mentioned him, I said that his story, the Arnold incident, was quote a pretty great story that should be its own episode at some point
1: i then proceeded
0: to forget about it
1: (laughs) yeah we're on episode 170 something 177
0: so 122 episodes later we are now talking about the arnold incident all right uh, that sounds about right for us that sounds about right for us so we are going to be talking about the arnold incident and project sign the investigation that the air force started into ufos because of what Ken- kenneth arnold saw not directly because but basically because you know okay yeah i want to give a shout out to diana palmer hoyt who did her master's degree thesis on ufos and put the whole thing online obviously for me specifically to reference in this podcast
1: It's always nice when people do that for us specifically.
0: Yeah, big fan of that. Thank you, Master of Science, Diana Palmer Hoyt.
1: So to be- If you ever meet each other, but you just greet each other as Master? Master? Master of Science? No, you have to say of of what? Oh, okay. Yeah, you got to say of
0: what? Okay. Yeah. Or you could just say, uh, Diana Palmer Hoyt, MS. Okay. You got to do one of those two. So to begin, let's talk about the man. The man, the myth, the legend? The man, the myth, the legend, Kenneth Arnold. So he was born in Sabika or Sebeka, who knows, Minnesota, in 1915. Presumably the people who live there know. If you live in Minnesota and you know how it's pronounced, please tell me.
1: It's pronounced Minnesota.
0: Minnesota. Uh, now you were legally allowed to kill me for that, for that bad <laughs> <laughs> accent. <laughs> Minnesotans, you have the legal authority to take me out. Uh, in the 1940s. Kenneth Arnold established the Great Western Fire Control Supply, which would fit out businesses and homes with fire suppression devices. The company was based in Idaho, but it did business all over the Pacific Northwest, so Kenneth traveled a lot. What helped with that was that Kenneth was a pilot, and he owned his own plane. That's fun. Yeah, isn't that great, where you can just like, sorry, I gotta fly to Washington for work, so I'm gonna get my new plane.
1: For some reason, I always see that as being something you want to do. Because it, it is. You want to get your pilot's license. I would love to get my pilot's license. The only
0: thing that's keeping me back is free time and money.
1: Right. I know from the many times I've recounted the story, it is a lot of money to get your pilot's license. Correct. So what helped with that, like I said, is that he had a Cal Air, which is a
0: type of small personal plane that at this time would have had two or three seats and a propeller. Uh, You can basically imagine any kind of little plane with large round wings sticking out at the bottom. Like they're not attached to the top or the, it's not like a biplane or anything. It's just got the one set of wings. Okay. They're also popular planes for use in crop dusting, though those ones are usually single passenger. Right. Okay. So if you imagine a crop dusting plane, but the fuselage is a little wider and it doesn't have like the thingies on the bottom that stick all the pesticides out. Okay. Uh, With his plane, Kenneth and some other pilots formed the Idaho Search and Rescue Pilots Association, which was a group of pilots that flew around the mountains to help locate missing people. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it's very wholesome. In the course of his work and his business operations, Kenneth had logged around 9000 hours of flight time in his plane. 4000 of those hours being search and rescue operations. Nice. Yeah. So he knew his way around a personal aircraft. Yeah, like he was very familiar with it. He also seems like a genuinely or generally good dude who spent his time like trying to stop fires from happening and also finding missing people in the mountains. Yeah, it's generally wholesome. Generally a wholesome guy. And that someone's going to email us next week and be like, actually, actually, as far as I can tell, we have no reason to think Kenneth Arnold was a dick in any way. He seems like he was just like a pretty good dude. That's Um, good. Somebody's going to come at me with his dirty laundry, which I'll be shocked about, but I don't know of any. Yeah. So uh, just so that everyone's aware, there isn't a dramatic turn where it turns out Kenneth Arnold's a dick. So on July 24th, 1947, Kenneth Arnold was flying his call air from Chahalas, I think, to Yakima, I know, Washington. Okay, yeah, we know one of those words. I know Yakima. I don't know about Chahalas. It's either Chahalas or Chahalas. Or Chahalis, I don't know. Going to be uh, Hollis? It's it could. I uh. Is it spelled like Hollabred? No, it's. I mean, maybe it's C H E H A L I S.
1: No, that's not how Hollabred. No, it's. Yeah, not. I don't know. I think it's Chahalis,
0: but God, who is to say? Um, the story of what exactly happened that day, June twenty fourth, has been changed over time as the tale has been passed down. Or as one excellent account put it, quote, "It has been handed down by the bards of sorcerism." Holy fuck, that's badass! Right? That's such a good f- turn of phrase. Like I, I chef kiss when I read that. I'm like, I am copying and hey, pasting that phrase,
1: listeners. Um, I have a request. Yes. Someone out there, and you know what, Christina, this could be you. Mm-hmm. It could also be Mal. Please make a what? Well, please make a uh bard. Bards subclass of saucerism? A bard of saucer subclass? Yeah.
0: That yeah. would be great. Oh, man. You're just like a bard that tells conspiracy theories.
1: I need this in my life. That would be delightful.
0: So, uh, back to the thing. I thought you were going to say that we should make a shirt that says bards of saucerism and it's just our faces. Uh no los dos. Porceno los dos. So, I'm going to try to use Kenneth's own account of what happened for this story, as well as compilations of what happened by Master of Science, Diana Palmer Hoyt, and some guy named Edward J. Rupolt, who was an Air Force officer, and also just like the director of the USAF task force in charge of investigating UFOs. You know, like, no big deal. Cool. Yeah. So at some time in May of that year, a U.S. Marine transport plane had crashed into the southwest side of Mount Rainier. Unf- not great. Yeah, not great. Unfortunately, 32 people died in the crash.
1: Really and not great. their families
0: put up a reward for anyone who could find the crash site and recover the bodies because they wanted their family members so they could bury right. them. Right. Yeah. It was $5,000 in 1947 money, which is like- That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. For context, it's almost $60,000 of 2020 money.
1: That could pay off a lot of my debt. Yes,
0: it could. Not all of it, but, but a, a lot of it. it. So this is this was more than enough to inspire Kenneth to take a gander around the mountain and see if he could track the site down. So he took off from Chahalas, possibly, at around 2
1: p.m. for his trip. I say possibly Chahalas. We know he left around 2 p.m. Yeah, we just we're not so certain about the pronunciation of the city. Correct. So here's the account. Quote, June 24th, 1947
0: was a beautiful day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky when I took off, and the air was just as smooth as silk. It was a real pleasure to be flying that day. I was going to make this search and then continue on to Yakima. I approached Mount Rainier at about 11,000 feet up over this plateau that extends even higher than 14,000 feet. There, I made a turn and, of course, cut my throttles. I went into an almost stalled type of glide, clearing my engine periodically, but searching the slopes all the way down the mountainside to the west. I started from the east because the crash had been recorded, I think, by radar or radio, right close to the southwest side of Mount Rainier proper. The altitude of the crash was thought to be in the vicinity of 8,000 feet. As I came out below on this first sweep, I passed over the little community of Mineral, Washington. It's in the pine trees there, and I knew pretty much where I was. I made a turn over Mineral and started climbing slowly but steadily to gain sufficient altitude to go back over the high plateau again for another pass. As I was making this 180 turn and flying directly towards Mount Rainier at about 9200 feet elevation, a tremendous flash appeared in the sky. It lit up my whole aircraft, even the cockpit, and I was startled. I thought I was very close to a collision with some aircraft I hadn't seen. Or, I thought, possibly a military plane had dived over the nose of my airplane, and the reflection of the afternoon sun against its wing surfaces has caused the flash. All this went through my mind in less than a tenth of a second, as I began to look around below me and ahead of me. And then the flash came again. This very bright flash, almost like an arc light, was coming from a group of objects far up to the north of Mount Rainier, in the area of Mount Baker, which is almost in a line with Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. I saw, a okay, ch- yeah, just like imagine three mountains. It's part of the Cascade Mountain Range in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. So there's it's basically there's these pretty large peaks that are almost in a line with Mount Rainier in the middle. OK, yeah. I saw a chain of peculiar aircraft approaching Mount Rainier very rapidly. I think I described their formation at the time as looking like the tail of a Chinese kite. They seem to fly in an echelon formation. However, in looking at them against the sky and against the snow of Mount Rainier as they approached, I just couldn't discern any tails on them, and I had never seen an aircraft without a tail. These were fairly large-sized, and there were nine of them. I'm good at counting things like this because, in the course of my lifetime, I have flown missions counting antelope, sheep, cattle, and whatnot. I kept looking for their tails. So from this is from the plane. From the plane. Yeah, people do that. They do flyovers of like herds of cattle and do counts to oh, yeah. estimate herd sizes.
1: People yeah, do okay. that.
0: That's a that's a job.
1: That is a job. Yeah, you're that right. Okay.
0: So originally, Kenneth reported that there the there were these series of disc shaped objects between forty five and fifty feet in length, traveling from north to south. He described them as being in an echelon formation, which means that the objects were in a diagonal line with the lead object higher and all the other ones stepping down. So like a a diagonal line in three dimensions, basically. Okay. They appeared to be flying at the same elevation as Kenneth, around 9,200 feet, and were pulsing light. While they were all traveling in formation, the individual crafts would deviate from the course every now and then by swerving out of the formation or getting a bit of elevation, then settling back down. So they were not Hmm. perfectly in formation the whole time. Right. He described their motion as like a saucer skipping across water, but he couldn't find any rhythm or pattern to it. Okay. This would later become the origin of the term flying saucer. Flying saucer, yeah. Yeah. So using the clock in his cockpit and his knowledge of the distance between certain landmarks, Kenneth said he figured they'd covered a distance of around 50 miles in one minute and 42 seconds.
1: That's a lot of distance in a little time. Yeah. If you crunch
0: the numbers, it ends up being somewhere around 1,700 miles per hour, which is over twice the speed of sound. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when did this we, was, do you
1: know what year we broke the sound
0: barrier? Uh, That's a good question. I did not actually write that down, but that's something we can look up really quick. Um. OK, so funnily enough, the sound barrier, it looks like the first person to ever break the sound barrier was an American pilot named Chuck Yeager, and it happened in uh, on October 14th of this same year. Chuck Yeager is an interesting dude.
1: Do you know of Chuck Yeager? I do know Chuck Yeager. Oh, man. Well. He became a meme between my friend and I in high school. Okay, interesting. That's that's a story for another time.
0: <laughs> well, he was the first person to break the uh, speed of sound in his plane. And it in happened. What year? Mm-hmm. In 1947, the same year okay. that this happened. Okay, yeah. It was just literally like four months later. Though I doubt he was going 70, or I doubt he was going 1,700 miles an hour.
1: Hang on, is Chuck Yeager still? Give me one second. Are you going to see if Chuck Yeager still alive? I think he is. If he's not, he died very recently. He had a Twitter. He's still alive. Nice. He's still alive. And someone on Twitter asked him, do you think you could have beat the Red Baron in a jog fight? And his response was, he died before I was born. So yes, I would have the advantage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Chuck Yeager. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who is curious, the speed of sound is 758 miles per hour. Mm hmm. Uh, And it looks like I'm trying to find how fast he went because it said that he went Mach 1, which I think is basically just like a little bit over that. Yeah. So he did not go 1700 miles an hour, which is what Kenneth uh, Arnold was saying these planes did. Right. Yeah. So Kenneth described the trail of crafts weaving in and out of the peaks of the Cascade Mountains, and he said they were very round and very thin. He also said they reminded him a bit of tadpoles and that they had a sort of, quote, peak at the center of their rear trailing
1: edges. So they weren't perfectly like circular. They were a little so bit. So what's interesting is that's like, if you think about it, that's kind of the quintessential shape of the of spaceships from like pulp novels of the 1950s.
0: Very much so, because those pulp novels were inspired by Kenneth Arnold sighting and also the Murray Island incident like the sightings that came out in 1947 alone because there were a lot of them which were almost all of them in the immediate wake of both the Murray Island incident which turned out to most likely be a hoax and the Kenneth Arnold incident they all kind of described sort of similar craft and Mm -hmm. all of the science fiction authors at the time were like perfect
1: yeah A little inspiration for me. Thank you. For me specifically. For me specifically. Said every science fiction author at the time. Yes.
0: So in his original reports to the newspapers, Kenneth said they were, quote, flat like a pie pan, shaped like a pie plate, half moon shaped, oval in front, and convex in the rear. Something like a pie plate that was cut in half with a sort of convex triangle in the rear. Or simply saucer-like, or like a big flat disc. So there were a variety of ways that he tried to explain these things, but you can kind of just imagine a large, almost flat, circular shape with sort of like a point in one side. A little bit egg-shaped, maybe, in a way? Yeah. Vaguely egg-shaped. Vaguely egg-shaped. So after watching them fly past, Kenneth kind of forgot about the $5,000 in reward money (laughs) um, because he had just seen some UFOs.
1: And he decided to head into Yakima to tell people what he saw. I feel like UFO money is probably more than $5,000. If if you can get, like, real UFOs, then yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like that is more
1: than $5,000.
0: Yeah. Since he could not recognize their form, Kenneth assumed that they were some kind of foreign military aircraft. He also assumed they were guided by robots because a human being wouldn't have been able to survive the speed they were moving and making turns at. Because, like, they're apparently making some pretty sharp turns at very fast speeds, which would kill a person with the G-force. Like,
1: yeah, we're not built to go incredibly fast. We're, no, we're not a species meant to last because we keep trying to go faster, but also we shouldn't. We should. So when he landed, he obviously told
0: everybody about the airstrip at the airstrip in Yakima what he saw. And one of the guys there suggested it was probably a group of guided missiles. Kenneth thought that this was probably true
1: and decided to go about his day. Also kind of terrifying.
0: Kind of terrifying. But like, like, he's
1: like, oh, guided missiles. I'm just going to go about my day in the middle of the Cold War. <laughs> well, the way it was explained
0: is that the guy was like, oh, there's a probably a missile launch spi- site there and they are probably doing a test. OK, that's how it was originally described. But then when he was thinking about it, he was like, I don't know of any missile launch site in that area.
1: Like, I don't know. about. You would think that would be something you would know a lot about when you're a pilot in the area. Yeah. Yeah, you'd you'd think you would. So he thought about that
0: later. And from Yakima, Kenneth then flew on to Pendleton, Oregon. And while he was in the air, he couldn't get over how fast the crafts had moved. It bothered him because he didn't know of anything that could travel that quickly. Because again, you wouldn't break the speed of sound until four months later. Yeah. He got the idea that it was possible they were Russian military craft, because Cold War. Cold War. And if that was the case, then the FBI should know about it. So when he landed in Pendleton, he tried to contact the FBI,
1: but their office was closed. This is sorry, please leave a message. This
0: is literally the reasoning he gives. He's like, so I went to talk to the FBI, but their office was closed. So I decided to go to the newspaper instead. Okay. Why not? Uh, So he went to the newspaper and he told them all about his sighting. And what followed was a media swarm, as several other publications reached out to him to get the story.
1: Was one of them the weekly world
0: news? I don't, I don't, not that I know of. I don't know how long they've been around. They've been all on a while, though. The initial reports in newspapers were fairly neutral retellings of what Kenneth saw, despite their best efforts. Uh, when he'd first come to the newspapers with his story, every journalist thought it was a hoax. Mm-hmm. But the more they questioned him about it, and the more they investigated his background, the fewer reasons they could find to discredit him. Because he was a respectable man with a good reputation, and he had a lot of experience not only as a pilot, but as a mountain search pilot specifically. Yeah. Like, he knew Seems what like he Seems was- like he's an expert. He knew what he was talking about in that area. So the newspapers reported the story as front page news, and then other reporters would hear about it and come to ask him what he saw. And the cycle repeated itself. This was he, to, I don't
1: remember if you mentioned it. Was he former military? No, he was not. As far as I'm aware, okay. he was not former military.
0: So this led to an initial boom of reports that started a firestorm of flyers flying saucer sightings. There were over two there were over twenty more UFO sightings allegedly on that same day. And there were no was no physical evidence for any of them. People didn't, people called in after the fact saying, yeah, I saw something that day too, but obviously there was no proof.
1: Right. So
0: the amount of stories about it compounded with the lack of any proof made it so that by the end of July, newspapers were saying Kenneth Arnold was crazy and that he had made the whole thing up. Right. Yeah. An Air Force investigator privately noted in mid-July that Arnold was, quote, practically a moron in the eyes of the majority of the
1: population of the United States damn yeah imagine being disclosed as a as practically a moron in an official statement right it was in a memo
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so a faction of people believed that he the like the a faction of people believed that he was wrong about what he'd saw mm-hmm. and they thought that kenneth had actually just seen airplanes and been mistaken right their argument centers around the limitations of the human eye Okay. So the average person can distinguish points 1.2 meters apart from a distance of one kilometer, according to Reddit. <laughs> <If> <laughs> thanks, Reddit. Po- thanks, Reddit. If the points are any closer than that, they start to blend together. So that's why you can't really distinguish things at a certain distance. As far like as things got start getting further away, it becomes more difficult to distinguish details from each other. Okay. The Arnold saw planes faction this is a quote sorry the arnold saw plains faction maintained that since arnold said that the objects were 45 to 50 feet long they would have had to have been much closer than he estimated or he couldn't even have been able to see them at all since they were much closer than he estimated arnold times arnold's timed speed was all wrong and instead of going 1700 miles per hour the objects were traveling at a speed closer to 400 miles per hour the speed of a jet. Okay.
1: So in a, lot, this, a lot more uh,
0: reasonable. A lot more reasonable. Um, in this theory, the weird motion of the aircraft is explained by the distorting effect of cold and hot pockets of air. So you know how like air over pavement, hot air over pavement tends to it look, like look like the wiggly. It's wiggly. It's boiling or rippling. Yeah. Um. Same thing, basically, is what they're insinuating here. But in this case, okay. it makes the planes look like they're skipping. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. So Kenneth Arnold just saw some planes flying in formation and because of the distortion of the air and the distance he thought they were at, they looked circular and further away than they actually were. Okay. That's one side of the argument. The other side of this debate, which says that whole reasoning is BS. Mm -hmm. Their main counter argument is that Kenneth had landmarks that he could base his judgment of distance against. Specifically, at one point in his story, he distinctly mentions watching the crafts pass behind one of the peaks of the Cascade Mountains. Which he was extremely familiar with. Which he was extremely familiar with. So this means that they had to have been at least that far away from Kenneth, who was able to reference his location from landmarks below himself on the ground. Like he said, he had just passed over this plateau. He knew where Mineral Washington was in relation to himself. He had a fairly good idea where he was on the map. So Mm -hmm. he could have, and he did when he landed, he got a map and he basically measured the distance between these two landmarks. Right. Okay. So if the crafts moved that fast behind a mountain and Kenneth was where he said he was on the other side of it, then his calculation of 1,700 miles miles per hour adds up. Plus, in the brief time Kenneth said he saw them, the nine saucers wove through the peaks, which was not something an airplane at the time was capable of doing. So like he only was watching them for like two minutes. Mm -hmm. He said he watched them weave through multiple peaks of the Cascade Mountains. which And that's how he was calculating how fast they were going. Exactly. It's like no plane at the time was capable of going that fast. Yeah. So their argument with the visual, especially, uh, and I want to say, it wasn't necessarily the speed even, it was the maneuverability. The fact that they could move through the mountains that quickly, like, making those turns because it's easy to go fast in a straight line it's harder to go fast in a moving line a wavy line, right a curved line yeah yeah exactly so their argument this group's argument was that the visual distance problem is that kenneth only thought they were 45 to 50 feet long Mm -hmm. and that they appeared that large to him at that distance then they must have actually been around somewhere like 200 feet long that's that's big it's big In later accounts, Kenneth actually increased his estimate of their size to match up with this. Uh, In the published account that I found, this was not his original account, but in a later account, he said that the craft were at least 100 feet in diameter. Okay. So it is very possible that these things he saw were really big and really far away, and he just misjudged how big they are. I know personally, I can't estimate the size of anything over like 10 feet, uh, so that doesn't seem particularly strange to me if you show yeah. me a large object you're know, like how big is that i'll be like i don't know like big i don't know
1: when you're small like me everything like someone uh was asking me i was uh talking about a person i was trying to remember who they were and the person on the other fu- uh, the, guy on the other phone was like uh were they tall and i'm like lady i'm 5'1 everyone is tall everyone is tall
0: But like, for instance, I was thinking about this when I was writing this. I was thinking about all those movies that are like 100 foot ant terrorizes the city. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, 100 feet is a little bit less than a 10 story building, which is not in the grand scheme of things, incredibly tall for a city, for a city, not very tall. But also, I have no idea what the relative size of 100 feet looks like. (laughs) So I wouldn't be able to tell you. If you told me something was 100 feet, I'd be like, probably, I guess? That's taller than my apartment building, at least. Yeah. I don't know how tall 100 feet is. I don't either. So on the other hand, it is possible that he mistook something mundane for something else very strange. He only saw them for about two minutes, and the human brain struggles to hold on to images after a time. We usually lose a lot of detail of things we see from our memory.
1: So, yeah, eyewitness accounts are notoriously un, uh, unreliable. Yeah. So it's not to say that Kenneth
0: was lying because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to do that. But he also seems like the kind of guy who knows a thing or two about planes. Yeah. And the big issue with all of this is that there is no evidence. There's no photos, no radar readings, nothing. So there was a uh, a conspiracy that actually popped up around this event trying Mm -hmm. in the crashed Marine Corps C-46 that went down on Mount Rainier, the one that he'd been searching for. Mm -hmm. Um, Theorists said that this crash was more proof that there were mysterious flying saucers in the area and that the saucers Mm -hmm. actually shot down that plane. So no photos of the crash or the bodies were ever released to the public, which led some to believe that the military had covered it up. Uh, Air Force officer Edward J. Rupelt says that there were photographs taken the military just never released them because the crash was gnarly and they wanted to respect the wishes of the deceased's families. So mm-hmm. that's fair. Um, and before we continue, I want to take a little, a little Patreon break. Okay. Well, I'm going to go get Mal because he's home. Okay. That sounds legit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hello. I like what you've done with your hair.
0: Oh, thank you. Chelsea didn't mention it at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm.
0: <laughs> Welcome Mal to the Patreon skit.
2: <sighs> Hello. How you doing? I'm tired. I'm not doing well. I'm recovering from sickness.
0: You've been very sick, and I'm very sorry.
2: I've been very sick. I've been very dizzy lately, having a lot of migraines, but uh, I'm not dead yet.
0: And they don't think you got the COVID.
2: They don't think I have the COVID, but um, something's coming for me, and it's going (laughs) to have to catch up because I got work to do.
0: Well, maybe I can uh, give you a little little soothing something in this time of need, because we did get a suggestion that we do the Patreon skit as uh, somebody being offered a selection of teas. So,
2: oh, I'd love that. So
0: I can offer you the Patreon as a selection of teas, if you desire.
2: Good, because I know nothing about teas, but I drink them. I slurp them so much.
0: I know so much about teas.
2: Yes, hit me, hit My me. My
0: horde of teas.
2: Your whole wall of teas and your wall of cups.
0: I love my cups.
2: Your cups are great.
0: My tea cups that are slowly taking over more and more of the walls.
2: Yep. Anywho. Who needs walls?
0: Uh, Hello, sir. Welcome to the Patreon.com slash cold Scripted's Conspiracies Tea Cafe. If I could just uh, give you a little seat here. Here's our, our menu. Would you like to start with any kind of finger foods or anything?
2: Oh, yes. No, I definitely love like if you have any kind of like sandwiches or scones or anything of that nature. I'm, I've heard a lot of good reviews about this location, and I'm very interested in the the exquisite teas that I heard are, are special only to your establishment.
0: Oh, yes. We have a lot of special house blends that we make here, and uh, they're they're unique to our Patreon. First, let me let me give you a little tea service here Today's Special is a medley of cucumber sandwiches and uh lox with cream cheese, which I think you'll enjoy. But we also have.
2: Oh are you good? I'm, t- I'm just the idea of cucumber and cream cheese came to mind, and I was like, huh, wh- what,
0: what, uh, what? What about it?
2: I don't think I don't know if I've ever had that before.
0: Mal, you gotta come over. Okay, Mal, when the when the pandemic's <laughs> over, you gotta come over, and I gotta give you cucumber sandwiches because you have Dude. not. You haven't lived until somebody <laughs> served you little tiny cucumber sandwiches on a fancy tea service. My dude it's the height oh, wait, of decadence.
2: No. no, I have to have them at your place. I yeah. think I was drunk.
0: Yeah, we were playing games and stuff.
2: They were so good. I'm sorry. Unrelated to Patreon. Yeah,
0: dude, come on. Listen, let me let me relive my fancy tea house dreams.
2: Yes, you can serve me tea anytime, but also serve me tea now.
0: All right. Well, here is our our menu of uh, our specialty house blends. The first one that I can recommend to you, if you want something a little bit more upbeat, this is a caffeinated black tea that we call the Crypt Court. It's actually we're having a special today. It's only two dollars with your finger sandwiches, and it is it's kind of robust, very energetic. Sort of fruity flavor, almost. Uh, we tend to mix, like, some bergamot, some cinnamon, a little bit of a hint of berry in there. It also contains a lot of pet pictures, and you'll find just some lovely general discourse about the podcast in this tea.
2: It definitely sounds really lively. Like, there's a lot going on in this cup. I mean, if yes. for only $2, that's that's such a good deal. I, I, I'm going to have to definitely order that. And tell me, do you? when I order the tea, can I order some? To take home as well, like the loose leaf?
0: Oh, yeah, we have all kinds of boxes. We actually, we have bags in various different ounce sizes of our teas. I do want to recommend to you, though, we have, if you're looking for something a little bit more mellow, but still pleasant on the tongue, something perhaps a little bit more warm, cinnamony, but with a sort of eclectic taste, we have another black tea called the Bits. This one's a little bit more expensive, only $5, though, and it will get you a just sort of hodgepodge mixture it started out as a kind of leftover everything that was in the podcast that we need to cut out blend but we found that when you mixed it together it brought you a lot of like warmth and humor it's a uh, it's not as lively as the discord and we don't actually have it on our shelves very often for some reason but it's it's a good tea to find it's more of a cozy at home tea
2: that definitely, you know, that definitely sounds delicious. And I've, I've heard rumor of this tea that when it does show up, it is just so good and, and warm in the stomach for when it when it does arrive, when one it is day, in season.
0: One day it will come back.
2: <laughs> I like the running joke. The bits are never available.
0: And that's on you, Mal. That's on you.
2: <laughs> I'm fully aware.
0: <laughs> we actually have another. Um, if you were interested in taking something home, we have a tin. That uh, I, I love to point out to people. It's a $10 tin that you can ask for the tea itself in, in our shop. Another non-caffeinated white tea this time that is called Parlour of the Paranormal.
2: Oh, can you can you tell me about the mouthfeel of this tea?
0: It's very smooth. It actually has a very pleasant sort of sweet aftertaste, though I do want to be upfront. It is a lot more bitter than a lot of our other teas. It is heavily bitter at first. And kind of all the way through. But some people like that. It's sort of like a dark chocolate.
2: So so almost even a little bit like startling, maybe even salty?
0: Almost a little spicy also. Sp-
2: spicy. That's a better yeah. way. Yeah, It's a yeah. sort of
0: spiced white tea. Um, it's very laden with schadenfreude. You see the people, when they pick this tea, they're forced to listen to very bad romance novels uh, of the paranormal persuasion. And then when you sip this, it's almost as if they're recounting them for you for your own amusement.
2: That sounds that sounds delicious. I'm I'm, going to need some of that for home immediately for for only $10. And and what is it that this house blend is available early?
0: It's actually if you if you subscribe, we actually have a monthly delivery service where you not only get this $10 tea, but you get uh, all of the other teas on our menu every month. Uh, and you will get them two week, two months earlier than general public when they come into the shop.
2: Oh, I'm gonna have to subscribe to this tea service of yours on Patreon.com/slash/CultureCrypticConspiracies. But, but what is that strange tin? Over there, the one that's like shaped like an urn and on the urn is like the face of someone in deep anguish. And it's like seemingly like there's like power emanating from of it and of an arcane Mm -hmm. nature.
0: I'm glad that I'm glad that you noticed that that's actually our twenty five dollar tea and it's rather rare. We only actually serve one pot of it a month Uh, and the person who selects that gets to be the librarian for our tea selection. They get to almost cosmically wield the whip that drives on par with the paranormal. They get to choose the book that those poor tea farmers are forced to listen to while they pick this tea. It's uh more of a, a green tea blend though. I find that it is a deeper flavor and uh it's, it's, it's very strong. It's very, very strong. It's very strong.
2: De- I get, it definitely looks like the way from the arrangement of the, of the packaging. Mm -hmm. I must say, it it looks like it's almost powered by the souls of those who have been tortured before. Mm -hmm. But yes, yes, I am, you know, I'm just gonna have to have all these ordered to my home. This is this is an excellent selection of tea. I really want tea right now.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad. Uh, Feel free to let me know. Feel free to take a little bit. We'll bring your first pot out momentarily. Enjoy your finger sandwiches. And uh, thank you for coming to our tea house here at patreon.com slash cold scripted conspiracies
2: well thank you so much yes i i five stars
0: wonderful Delightful. God, I, I,
2: I actually am gonna go get some tea in just a second like i really i really do want- tea is so great like even if you don't go to our patreon.com slash cold scripted conspiracies just so you know two dollars it helps it really does i know it's kind of weird but it really does help us regardless Brew yourself with pot of tea right now for all you listeners.
0: All tea. I am in a weird position where I kind of like to think of myself as a honey sommelier because uh, I started drinking a lot of tea and then started putting a lot of sugar in my tea because I hate bitter things. But I realized how much sugar I was putting in. So I switched to honey because that's like sort of better for you. And there's a lot of flavored honeys, and so when anyone when yeah. anyone comes over to my house, I'm like, oh, you're gonna have that tea. Well, you should have this honey with it. It's the perfect pairing because it this avocado honey really like accentuates the flavors of this tea. And it's uh, I'm I could have gone into that for the Patreon, but that would have taken too what's, much time.
2: Eh. Well, I mean, what's interesting too is that where I'm from, from the Central Valley in California, there's a lot of like bee farmers and different things mm-hmm. that it's like there's a lot of different varieties of honey out there, but also. I don't like honey in my tea because I think it just it slows down the process of getting the tea to my mouth. So it's like you're taking longer to prepare my tea. Give me the hot bean water. Not the bean water. No, the, the leaf, leaf water. Juice. The leaf give juice. Give me the hot leaf juice. And give it to me now.
0: But it, it, it enhances the experience, though.
2: It it does. But yes, patreon.com slash script is conspiracies. I'm so glad to uh, be getting better and be here for a Patreon skit.
0: Yay.
2: Yay, they yeah, we yeah. always miss you on
0: the podcast, Mal. Aww, Chelsea doesn't uh, get as enthusiastic about the Patreon ads with me.
2: She she doesn't. Chelsea does not get as enthusiastic about the Patreon ads. She it's like she's like, oh, it's here. just
0: she <laughs> she's she doesn't embrace the skits.
2: <laughs> no, she. You just gotta embrace it. You just gotta go for it. You just gotta just. Yes, I am. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, this is such a break in the monotony of my life. Anyway, um, I'm going to return you to Chelsea, and then I'm going to reflect on that with a cup of tea. Babe, here you go.
0: Chelsea will return after this word from our sponsors.
3: With the Lucky Lands slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Chelsea, as we come back from the Patreon ad, I just need you to know that Savannah just sent me an update about the fattest bear competition for 2020. Oh, how's it going? Yeah. um, 7.47 is in the final with Chunk. 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 Uh, Chunk, I think, could go all the way. 7.47, I'm a little bit disappointed has made it this far because I thought 8.12 was a fatter bear, but, you know. But sometimes
1: looks is really what gets it because 7.47 is
0: adorbs. 747 is a very cute bear. It's true, mm-hmm. a very aesthetically pleasing bear. Chunk, Chunk's a big bear, mm-hmm. so I'm eager to see who gets who gets voted, the fattest bear of 20. Isn't
1: it also like the fattest relative to what their size was before? No, they actually don't. Because
0: here, if that was the case, then 812 would have taken uh, taken the lead from 747 because 747 was a big bear to begin with. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the fattest bear at the end. Okay, I think it's just you vote depending upon which bear you think is fatter. Fat bear season. Fat bear season. It's the only... hear my stomach,
1: make that noise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, the only competition I care about. Fattest Bear 2020. So mm-hmm. anywho, uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, the Arnold sighting sparked a fury of additional sightings after the fact. Right. There were dozens of them from civilians and Air Force officers in the Pacific Northwest area. Housewives and ex-pilot police officers and Air Force sergeants all saw strange shapes or lights in the sky that they couldn't rationally explain. By the end of July that year, the Air Force was talk- taking UFOs as a serious topic and was no longer talking to the press. Quote. Huh, okay. Yeah. Quote, a few members of the press who did inquire about what the Air Force was doing – Got the same treatment that you would get today if you inquired about the number of thermonuclear weapons stockpiled in the U.S.'s atomic arsenal. That's comforting. Yeah. They were just being very mum about UFOs. Right. They were starting to ask their own questions and they were demanding a source for these weird saucers. Mm -hmm. The Air Force was like beginning to kind of freak out about it, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, sort of understandably, because it's like, the fuck is this? Yeah, it's like, this is U.S. air. We're
0: supposed to be in charge of this. What what are these things? And I mean, on top of the fact that, again, Cold War. Exactly. So they had two possibilities, earthly Mm -hmm. and extraterrestrial. Those were the two sources they were thinking of. If the saucers were of earthly origin, the Air Force suspected Russia. Well, yeah. Yeah. Again, Cold War. After that, they suspected the Navy because they didn't trust the Navy. They didn't trust their own Navy? Yeah, there's a whole thing between the various branches of the U.S. military where the Army, Navy, and Air Force all have opinions about each other. And uh, they also didn't talk to each other. There was one plan that the Navy had for a kind of plane that the Air Force... Sort of knew about, but wasn't involved
1: with, and so there yeah. was this
0: whole thing where they were like, "Are we sure the Navy scrapped that plan? Are
1: we sure the Navy scrapped that plan?" I guess that's not really surprising to me, considering everything else we've talked about on this podcast.
0: Yeah, like they, it sort of they they're almost acted like disconnected entities to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, so pretty par for the course from what we've talked about on this podcast. Really. Correct.
0: So if it w- if the saucers were extraterrestrial, they had no idea what to do about it. Because uh, it could be anything from an invading alien army to benign space whales. How were they to know? Space whales! Space whales! Which would be great. So further intelligence proved that it wasn't the Navy. And they were pretty confident that the Russians couldn't make anything that traveled twice the speed of sound.
1: Yeah, the Russians were having... The Russians did pretty well on some things and real badly on others. I will give it to the Russians. They did most of the space stuff first. Like they did. they did. they did most of the space stuff first, to be fair, though, they did most of the space stuff first because they didn't really care about mm, human life. I, I can't argue that, yeah, I can't <laughs> so argue like, that so they they decided to forego safety standards to get to space first. and they succeeded. <laughs> and they succeeded, yeah. and they succeeded.
0: So uh, because the two earthly options were kind of a no-go, that left them with still no explanation for all the sightings that were happening of strange saucer-like objects. The Air Force was kind of freaking out. They turned to their intelligence center and said, go out there and investigate every UFO sighting and tell us if these things are real.
1: And that's that's so a great they use of our taxpayer money. I mean, I'm not against it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's worse things. There's worse things.
0: So on September 23rd, 1947, the chief of the Air Technical Intelligence Center sent a letter to the Commanding General of the then Army Air Forces. The letter was a kind of summary of their conclusions based on a preliminary study. They said, "Quote, the reported phenomena were real."
1: After that, But
0: real in what sense? Real in the sense that they were happening. Like
1: Right. Yeah, UFOs are like- happening. Okay, I'm just like, yeah, they exist, but that doesn't explain from whence they came. No, it does not.
0: After all that, after that letter, it was basically uh, the, AT- the ATIC strongly advising that the Air Force have some kind of permanent UFO task force. Okay, yeah. This was granted, and thus Project Sign was born. Again. Anything is a
1: UFO if you're just real bad at identifying things. And you know what? A lot of people are.
0: (laughs) They really are. A lot of people are. But then there are some people who are actually very good at identifying things, but they don't know what it is either. And then we worry. That is
1: a good time to worry.
0: Yeah, it's a good time to worry. So Project Sign was granted the second highest priority of all Air Force projects at the time. And all the work was shrouded in secrecy. Only 10 people were put on the project but they did their best to follow up on every strange sighting of an unidentified craft. In 1948, really, was when Project Science started going. They were deep into investigating all the sightings, and the first one was com- came in at around 1.30 a.m. on New Year's Day, 1948. So, okay. kicking off the year with a bang. The, Why not? The Air Force was now at a stage where they were pretty much openly discussing what sort of aliens they thought were visiting Earth with complete seriousness. I'm just... Because it was like, we know it's not the Russians. We know it's not the Navy. I guess it's aliens. What do you think they're like?
1: I know, but now I'm thinking about the whole thing with the... They're going to rush area fifty-one one in the Naruto run. Oh, the, the... The what run? The Naruto run. Naruto. Naruto. Whatever. Everyone says Naruto or Naruto or
0: whatever you just said. And I'm like, how is it so difficult to pronounce? Anyway, the public had a sort of UFO fever in fiction, kind of like we discussed earlier, where sci-fi writers were going buck wild with inspiration. This led to a lot of the boom of the sort of UFO alien abduction sci-fi that came in in the middle of the 20th century. Right, yeah. And yet, despite all of this happening, the press was not saying much. Not anything that was actually, like, backed up by anything anyway. Part of it was the discrediting of the majority of the UFO sightings. There were so many, most with no proof or very questionable witnesses, that they didn't warrant making the news anymore. Well, yeah. Yeah. But also, every time the press came to the Air Force asking for details, all they were told was that they were still looking into it. Sightings of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They weren't... So, they were just like, we're still looking into it. And then told nothing else, basically. Okay. Uh... Sightings of strange objects were now happening in Europe as well, and the phenomenon was becoming worldwide, and it kept Project Sign busy. Then, on January 7th, someone died trying to look at a UFO. Okay, guys, really? Come on. Well, let me explain the story, and you'll see how you feel about it. So, an unidentified object, circular and roughly 250 to 300 feet in diameter, was seen over several towns in Kentucky. The Air Force requested someone to check it out. So here's the quote from the account. The tower called the flight leader, Captain Mantell, and asked him to take a look at the object and try to identify it. One F-51 in the flight was running low on fuel, so he asked permission to go on to his base. Mantel took his two remaining wingmen, made a turn, and started after the UFO. The people in Godman Tower were directing him as none of the pilots had seen the object at this time. They gave Mantell an initial heading toward the south and the flight was last seen heading in the direction, in the general direction of the UFO. By the time the F-51s had climbed to 10,000 feet, the two, wing, the two wingmen later reported, Mantell had pulled out ahead of them and they could just barely see him. At 2.45, Mantel called the tower and said, I see something above and ahead of me and I'm still climbing. All the people in the tower heard Mantell say this and they heard one of the wingmen call back and ask, what are we, what the hell are we looking for? Neither of them had seen it. The tower immediately called Mantell and asked him for a description of what he saw. Odd as it may seem, no one can remember exactly what he answered. Saucer is historians- is this shit recorded? You'd think, but at the time, no, apparently not. It was 1948 and they didn't record this conversation. I mean, they had the ability. They had the power, they just didn't do it. Or if they did, the recording has been lost. Okay. So saucer historians have credited him with saying, I've sighted the thing. It looks metallic and it's tremendous in size. Now it's starting to climb. Then in a few seconds, he is supposed to have called and said, it's above me and I'm gaining on it. I'm going to 20,000 feet. Everyone in the tower agreed on the last bit of transmission. I am going to 20,000 feet. But they couldn't agree on the first part about the UFOs being metallic and tremendous. The two wingmen were now at 15,000 feet and were trying frantically to call Mantell. He had climbed far above them by this time and was out of sight. Since none of them had any oxygen, they were worried about Mm Mantell. Their calls were not answered. Mantell never talked to anyone again. The two wingmen leveled off at 15,000 feet, made another fruitless effort to calm Antel, and then started to come back down. As they passed Godman Tower on their way back to the base, one of them said something to the effect that uh, all he had seen was a reflection on his canopy. When they landed at their base, uh, Stanford Field, just north of Godman, one pilot had his F-51 refueled and resurfaced with oxygen and took off in search of the area again. He didn't see anything at 3.50, the tower lost sight of the UFO. A few minutes later, they got word that Mantell had crashed and was dead. So one thing that I didn't include, I don't think, that was weird about this is when I say that the pilots didn't have oxygen, I meant that they didn't have oxygen tanks in their planes.
1: Yeah, that's what I figured you meant.
0: Right. And at certain elevations, the air pressure is so low and the oxygen is so thin that you just can't breathe you start to basically i think the word is like get epoxic i can't remember exactly what the word is yeah but you you're suffocating essentially you can't get enough oxygen into your blood and it's necessary to have an oxygen tank to breathe Twenty thousand feet is not safe for anyone to be in without oxygen (laughs)
1: So this is actually reminding me of the Australian incident mm-hmm. of the pilot that went missing after he went to to fly from, to hop from.
0: Yes. To, he flew to, across yeah, the you know, water and, to the island.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, it sort of reminded me of that and how we at the time were like, hey, was he suffering from being disoriented in his plane? Mm-hmm. Like, and that is what this, like. Could they confirm that he was that high or were they going off of what he was telling them? Could it have been possible that he was disoriented and crashed himself? It's
0: very possible that, I mean, like they, it seems to me that he crashed, like because he was at a altitude where it wasn't safe to have oxygen because even 15,000 feet is not a good place to be without oxygen tanks. There right. are people who are trained to withstand that level, like you can build up your lung capacity. Why I say it like that? You can build up your lung capacity and you can withstand that altitude. And there I was reading an article that was saying like some guys can even push 17,000 feet, but okay, 20,000 no one can do without oxygen. And the fact that this was a trained military pilot who knew he didn't have oxygen tanks The fact that he said he was going to 20,000 feet and he was going higher is very weird because why would he do that if he wasn't seeing anything?
1: Right. So, but the question becomes, was he seeing anything or did he become disoriented from lack of oxygen?
0: Right. Either way, he definitely crashed because of lack of oxygen, most likely.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the official report that was released. no, No, there aren't conspiracy theorists saying that the aliens killed him to keep their secret.
0: No, they, I, they're saying the, the from this particular, the question from this particular sighting is, what did he see that inspired him to go that high? Okay. Yeah. Because there was an object seen, he said he saw it, and he decided to go up that high in pursuit of it. Okay. People were saying he would not have done that if there was nothing to be seen.
1: Right. So to me, the question really is, did he see something or was he... Or was he suffering hallucinations? Yes. So the official report that was
0: released uh, after this incident was that he either saw the planet Venus or a weather balloon.
1: Okay. I
0: think weather balloons are usually the explanation, weirdly. Usually they are. So an Air Force major, the Pentagon's quote unquote expert on UFOs, swore up and down publicly that it had just been the planet Venus in the sky that he had seen and that he was chasing.
1: I know it can appear to be rather large at certain times, mm-hmm. but that's, I don't know, that seems sus. That's, hey,
0: Chelsea, I'm glad yeah. you think so. Okay. Because <laughs> it came out later that he just said that because uh, he felt that he had been backed in a corner into a corner by reporters and he just said something to get them to leave him alone. The Mantell incident, as it was later called, was just kind of then left. Further investigations revealed that there was no way it could have been Venus because Venus wasn't bright enough in the sky at the time. The incident happened between 2.45 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you can't really see Venus
1: that well in the middle of the day. So I mean, okay, they're in the middle of the desert. So I'm like, you can't really see it that well because of light pollution. But like, okay, it's like the 40s and yeah well i mean there that's not Ken- as big this of a this was over kentucky yeah but they're high up so that would yeah no they're high up but, but still, still like, it's midday it's midday the sun is
0: much brighter than venus in the middle of the day yeah there are there was a thing like apparently venus can get up to six times brighter than the sky around it in the su- in like the sunlight but even still six times brighter for a planet at that distance in the middle of the blue sky is still yeah. pretty hard to see yeah. So yeah, it could have been a weather balloon. But by then, no one had a way to
1: check anymore. So I like how weather balloons are so often the explanation. I'm like, we need to have like a a directory of where these fucking weather balloons are going because apparently they just have a mind of their own.
0: And uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler for later in the episode. But here's the thing. We do have that. They just don't talk to the military. <laughs> what it? the two departments don't like, talk to each other that's the problem they don't coordinate this is so often the fucking problem yeah <laughs> it is so this incident became sort of an omen for how things would go with project sign remember this is january 7th <laughs> it's the, it's the 7th it's like yeah the day the year has not even really started yet and this is how we're kicking it off
1: so Look, this year kicked off January, like, <laughs> 2nd, so, like, yeah. I can't really speak to 1948. Yeah, so much like with the Arnold and the Mantell incidents, things would be
0: investigated and theories would be made. But for one reason or another, they just wouldn't be followed up. People would be interviewed and nothing would be done with the data. The Dude, press, what the fuck? <laughs> the press would give answers and the Air Force would either say nothing or they'd just make something up. People Do you mean ass- they give questions? No, the press would like give answers to people. Oh, they would okay. just make up stuff.
1: Oh, okay. The
0: press made up stuff, and the Air Force would not like count contradict them. Or when the press came to ask the Air Force what happened, they would make something up because they didn't have an actual answer.
1: Great, sounds like a sounds like a well functioning government right yeah. there.
0: <laughs> so people assumed things were solved because they were given an answer. It's like, oh yeah, it was Venus. So they would stop working on projects because they assumed someone else had figured out what the answer was. Great. That was basically the whole year. (laughs) They had over a hundred. Okay. So they had like several hundred UFO sightings in 1948 that they were investigated. There was something like 160 of them that the Air Force said were creditable sightings. And they just never really followed up on them after that.
1: So the government is just a bunch of teenagers doing a group project in high school. None of them ever talk to each other, and some of them never actually do the project. Correct. So on
0: October 1st, a pilot named George F. Gorman, second lieutenant in the North Dakota National Air Guard, uh, Air National Guard, I mean to say, was flying an F-51 to the city of Fargo, where he encountered a very bright light. At first, it looked like the taillight of another plane. But ATC told him there were no other planes that close to him. There were planes in the area, not that close to him. He pursued the light, but, it, but was startled to find that there was no craft attached to it. It seemed to just be a floating light, six to eight inches in diameter, blinking off and on at incredibly fast speeds. The
1: That's light- Six to eight inches in diameter is actually pretty big for that. Like if you're in a plane and it's like, the fuck is that?
0: It's like, yeah, what's this thing right next to me? There's an eight-inch light glowing right next to your cockpit. So the light then started to fly at the F-51, and Gorman had to do several evasive maneuvers in order to not collide with it. After several stressful minutes, the light just disappeared. Gorman told everyone what he'd seen and was backed up by witnesses on the ground and another plane that was close enough to see. There was another plane nearby that the pilot and the passenger both were like, yeah, we saw a weird light next to this plane. Um, Immediately, Project Sign investigators came to Fargo to check it out. The investigators looked at the plane, checked everything out mechanically, and got a statement from every person who was involved. Mm -hmm. They ran a Geiger counter over the F-51, and they found it was radioactive.
1: Okay, that's not
0: great. They took all this information and flew back to uh, Daytona where they were based, and then did nothing with it. No, of course not. Yep. In a memo from a meeting that uh, happened once the investigation team returned, it was just concluded that, quote, weird things were taking place. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's just radioactive.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No big deal. So I am a big fan of how Donald Keyhole, a retired Marine Corps uh, major and a professional writer, puts it. After doing their preliminary investigation and weekly trying to suggest that it may have been another weather balloon, the investigators from ATIC, quote, dropped it like a hot UFO. Jesus. So here's the thing. In this incident, it had been a weather balloon. It actually had been. Oh, okay. But no one would find that out until the Air Weather Service sent a letter about it the next year. Great, cool. In 1949, they're like, by the way... It was a weather balloon. It was our weather balloon. We tracked its movements in the sky. Moving at the speed of bureaucracy there. Correct. A right field laboratory looked over the Geiger counter information, again, much later, and concluded that the levels of radiation were consistent with a plane being at that height in the atmosphere. Because... The atmosphere doesn't completely block off all radiation, and the higher you get up, the more you are exposed to, which is why you're not allowed to fly over the Arctic Circle every day. So basically, there was nothing strange here at all. And yet for some reason, the people of Project Sign were either unwilling or unable to put the pieces together. Which do you think is
1: more more possible? Come on here. I will tell you what it was.
0: So by the end of 1948, it seemed like the investigators and the people in charge of them had kind of just lost interest in UFOs. They just didn't care anymore. They were pushing work off onto other branches of the Air Force, and they needed more and more prodding to actually go into the field to check it out. Basically, they were burnt out of UFOs so much that they just kind of stopped really investigating them.
1: I kind of feel like that's not a great idea, again, in the middle of the Cold War. Yeah. A little like, bit. Like, not the best plan of action, but sure. It was, I mean, it was, no one, we, we didn't actually die from a nuclear apocalypse, so okay, it worked out, I guess. It kind of seems like the plan here was that they would go out into the field, like,
0: if, if they heard about a story of a UFO, and they couldn't immediately dismiss it as something, they'd go out in the field to check it out. And then after they proved that it wasn't like a military, a Russian military plane, They just were like, okay, we're not going to look into it anymore. And it's the thing about that is, it's like, sometimes it actually is a weather balloon. And you guys could just verify that if you talk to the air weather service. Or sometimes it's one of your trained pilots who says that there's something weird on the radar and he doesn't know what it is. And you guys are just going to leave that alone, I guess. Yeah, that sounds like a, I feel safe. Right? (laughs) So... By December 30th, 1948, Project Sign was closed down for good. It only lasted a little bit over a year. It was then immediately succeeded by Project Grunge in 1949. Great name. And then Project Twinkle in 1950. Just getting better here. And then Project Blue Book in 1952. We talked about that one. I think we've we've mentioned it. We haven't gone into depth into Project Blue Book, but Project Blue Book was one of the predecessors for our more modern investigations into UFOs, which we have talked about before.
1: Yeah, I feel like it used to be that at UFOs were weather balloons, and now they're drones. Now they're drones, or they're hallucinations, or who's to say? I mean, they were they always could have been hallucinations, but now yes. they're they're probably drones, and that makes them. Less fun.
0: So it seems like the Air Force keeps trying and giving up on investigating UFO sightings. Like Sure. They start with a lot of verve and enthusiasm for it, and then they're just like, give up. Like a housewife like- in the 15th year of marriage, they're like, I'm kind of done. <laughs> I'm kind of She's done with this. Sorry. My husband's really disappointing. Um, I'm going to so- become a lesbian. And then they become a lesbian. Uh, so as for Kenneth Arnold, after a few years, he regretted ever speaking up about what he saw. The notoriety became ridicule, and the press, openly claiming he'd made the whole thing up, didn't
1: sit well with him either. That happens a lot with people that are the first to have Mm -hmm. these accounts. They're like, yeah, I regret this.
0: I regret bringing it up. At one point, there was a quote that he said, I wouldn't have said that I saw a 10-story building flying through the air at this point. Because, like, even if I had seen it, no one would believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But... Even after all that time, he never recounted his statement. In 1977, he went to the first international UFO Congress in Chicago and spoke about his experience and his displeasure with how the Air Force handled it. Here's the quote. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, right here, we've seen something. I've seen something. Hundreds of pilots have seen something in the skies. We have dutifully reported these things. And we have to have 15 million witnesses before anybody is going to look into the problem. Seriously? But this is utterly fantastic. This is more fantastic than flying saucers or people from Venus or anything as far as I'm concerned. Basically, he went out, he died in uh, 1984. And to this day, the Arnold incident remains unresolved. There's no formal explanation as to what he saw, whether it was a hallucination or not. Um, but he went out salty about the Air Force and their general just like... I think that's fair. I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah. On his part. Um. And that's the Arnold incident. That's what happened. That's Project Sign. And that's kind of how our Air Force handles these things.
1: Good to know. Feel super safe about that now. Yeah. Yeah yeah. 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 yeah, Again, middle of the Cold War. Not really sure it's a great idea to just be like, eh, someone identified in the sky. It's probably fine. It's really interesting that, like,
0: the, the amount of ridicule. Because at, at a certain point, and I... It's more in line with Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book is where the terminology UFO really comes around and oh, okay. that was actually invented as a alternative to flying saucer because if you said if you said flying saucer at a certain point that had the connotation that you were crazy. That's yeah. So in the 50s in the Air Force at least, if in the general public I guess also. If you saw you saw if someone said, "Oh, he saw a UFO," That was seen as more credible than someone saying, oh, he saw a flying saucer. Yeah. Okay. That was shorthand for this guy doesn't know what he's looking at.
1: Well, especially because not every UFO is saucer shaped. Not every UFO is saucer shaped. It's true. But it's interesting
0: how that terminology has now come back around on itself. That UFO sightings are now also as ridiculed as they had been at the time. And yeah. largely, it's like to the point where you aren't taken seriously for seeing a UFO, even if you're not lying.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because there will be like, because UFO is just a designation. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an alien spacecraft. It exactly. just means that it's unidentified. And it's interesting that now we have things like things that are coming out. What was it? The fucking Blink-182 Frontrunner runner? Like, released. Oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Released. And it's like, yeah, the the military saying we have a UFO, and everyone being like, alien. And it's like, no, it's not what that. It's not what that means. But it's just weird. It's then weird to hear it out of an official capacity. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it could. Here's the thing, though. In the 40s, the Air Force was openly discussing it's probably aliens because we don't know what else it is. And obviously, their ability to understand what they were looking for and looking at was not as advanced as it is now. But like. Even now, I love how
1: in the 40s, the American government could not conceive of any other country having any kind of advanced aircraft unless either a they gave it to them or b they knew about it. Right. To the point where they were like, no, it must be aliens.
0: It must be aliens. It couldn't have been the Russians. We would know.
1: Not even just the Russians, just literally any other country.
0: But there's here's a funny thing. And this it just reminded me of when we were talking about the faking the moon landling episode where like if we one of the great things we said about why the moon landing had to have been real is because the russians said it happened (laughs) and the russians if the russians had said that we hadn't done it um or they would have been able to tell if we hadn't done it and so like the fact that they acknowledge that it happened means that it happened yeah it's a similar thing where like it's it's one of those things where the the American government and the Russian government specifically were so up each other's ass that they're like, no, I know for a fact that they don't have this. I know the, for the fact yeah. they don't have this technology because we're
1: watching them so closely. We're watching them intensely. Intensely. I mean, that's, well, that's kind of how we found out about Chernobyl. There's a lot of reasons we found out about Chernobyl.
0: Yeah. Can't really hide that.
1: There's um, also, Chernobyl is basically, um, to go off on a slight tangent, basically the reason why the the wall fell. Well. You, I mean, I think we
0: talked about this in depth on the episode. and You did on Chernobyl. I don't think I talked about it
1: super in depth.
0: I can't remember. Anyway. In the episode of on Chernobyl?
1: No, I don't think I talked about how it's the reason the wall fell in uh, that episode. I think gotcha. I talked about more the event itself.
0: That's fair. But the takeaway from this, I think, is that I believe the reason that UFOs are ridiculed so much now is be- directly linked to the Air Force's Incompetence in investigating them. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Because I feel like if the Air Force had investigated them more thoroughly and had more credible and backed up with facts, proof about what some of these things were, people would be less likely to freak out about UFO sightings. And I also think that people would be less likely to fake UFO sightings, which is a thing that happens. Yeah, definitely there were were a lot of hoax ufo sightings yeah and so i think the bad rep that ufo sightings get these days is directly related to how poorly the air force investigates them in america
1: seems about right that's my
0: takeaway um feel free to have a different one listener if you if you have opinions about this topic i would love to hear them
1: do you want to do you want to do some emails i'd love to do some emails chelsea do you want to read me an email yeah So first we got from Shannon. Greetings. Hi, Chelsea, Christina, and Mal. I discovered your podcast a few months ago, and I have enjoyed binging old episodes and look forward to your new episodes each week. Even with so much time on my hands during the pandemic, I haven't been able to listen to all of them and have jumped around a lot, so I'm not sure if you've done an episode on the topic yet. A friend of mine shared something on Facebook today about a cult called Nixium, and I was shocked I had never heard of it because it sounds sandless as fuck. I love a good rabbit hole, so I'm going to do some independent reading to satisfy my curiosity. But if you haven't yet done an episode on this, I think it would be an interesting topic. If you have already covered this, can Mal pretty please drop the episode number so I can listen? Much love to you all and stay safe. Shannon. Yeah, so we did do Nixium. I did uh, Nixium And then we also had our very first interview on this podcast was with a former member of Nixium.
0: And Mal will drop both of those episode numbers here.
2: That would be episode 50 for Nixium, and then we had an interview with John Bryant on January 30th, 2019.
1: Yeah, and then, actually, uh, the HBO documentary series on Nixium is pretty good. Nice. They have one going on, right? Well, actually, it just ended, so. All right, because you talked a lot, let's do, let me do another one.
0: Yeah, we also got, a uh, this one, I mean, this one is from someone just
1: true neutral, and it looks like it's a lot of recommendations, so it is a lot of recommendations um it is oh wow there's there's uh, i don't know what the fuck this even is supposed to how do you name this <laughs> what casey White, like what that's too many consonants that's too many consonants jesus christ can we oh I would and love then to doc Antle these. as well yeah i'm gonna do doc Antle at some point i don't I, know
0: can you please read that because i like the commentary about
1: this one just um, on doc Antle or just, I, the whole no, thing. just the whole thing okay greetings all c3 associated personnel i love you guys and your podcast brings me life also Malice so wholesome thank you he is i love him i like that you took credit for that you're thank you <laughs> uh, no you know <laughs> uh, as the subject suggests i have some recommendations and i'll start with the books because they will be shorter Dark Desire by Christine Feehan. I love the world she creates with these books, but I can't deal with the romance of someone so controlling and abusive. This is the second book in the series. Also, not going to lie, I freaking love her Ghost Walker and White Leopard series. P.S. She has trailers for her books on her website. That's actually pretty common. That is nice, though. Anything in the Long Arm series by our friend Tabor Evans. Just terrible. Seriously, they're awful. Wonderful. While you're pulling the info for these books, I found this gem. You know, it's a trashy romance novel if it has one gratuitous sex slash nonstop nonstop mental lusting. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Purple prose. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lurid cover. It has to be outlandish titles along the lines of the Virgin Mistress's secret baby daddy. Yes. We We haven't been running into that as much.
0: No, when it comes to like the paranormal ones, it's usually something like
1: blood or bite or hunger or whatever. Hunger for you. I think that was literally something we read. That was literally like the last book we read. <laughs> okay. Domineering alpha males who must be tamed by too stupid to live heroines. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Superficial character development and or that which defies suspension of belief. Example, heroine in a historical who seems to have stepped right out of the pages of Cosmopolitan magazine. Yep.
0: That we haven't read any right. historical stuff, though. Like We have read historical fiction. It just didn't have a
1: heroine in it. Okay, yeah, that was one book that we read, the, one of the good books that we read. Yeah. I would like more historical supernatural romance That would be delightful. Find them. That would be delightful. Body part euphemisms that defy any kind of lang- language logic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Cardboard, two-dimensional, over-the-top, obvious villains. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I also think you will enjoy smart bitches and trashy books and HuffPost's possessing the lily and other sexual euphemisms you never knew you needed. Wonderful. Now onto the story suggestions. First, we have the Republic of Zaquistan, located in the inhospitable west desert of Utah, near the also inhospitable city of Wendover. Seriously, miles and miles of Utah, nothing. It's different than California, nothing, because it only has sage bushes and ticks, and maybe scorpions. I don't know. I was always terrified of scorpions as a child because I thought all scorpions immediately killed you. No. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know that now. Do you, but you know when look, I was a child, do I you thought look, that
0: that uh, scorpions go under UV. I did know that, yeah. It's that's fun pretty awesome. Because that's how you can locate them in the dark.
1: I don't know. Here's how the National Park Service described it. Uh, basically some dude bought off land, uh, bought land off eBay for fucking cheap, sight unseen, probably because they knew that if he saw it, he wouldn't buy it and wants to start his own republic. I say we let him. He can't do any worse than the US government. (laughs) Also, here's an Atlas Obscura article. Next, we have the Home of Truth. I didn't, I didn't know we had a non-FLDS cult in Utah, but I am not surprised. Then we have, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce this. Um, uh, Kai Mirks Theory. There's not enough vowels. There's a lot of them. They're
0: just in weird places. And there's... Okay, so it's... I think it's... xy mirx
1: Or Sure. Thary? It sounds like something I'm going to do, so I'm going to fucking hate myself for it. Because <laughs> it's an alternate universe that coexists with ours. I first heard of this delightful universe through the tragic story of Edgar and Ben. Ask me if I remember where I heard about them. Go ahead. Ask me. Tell me. (laughs) I want to know. They say, I don't remember. Sorry. Fourth, we have the victim of the beast located in Salt Lake City, Utah. Or yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah Cemetery. And finally, we have the Myrtle Beach Zoo and Doc, Bagavan, Antle. I'm sure you've heard of Tiger King. Well, if you haven't watched it or it's accompanying Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. I haven't seen that part yet. That was like they added another episode.
0: Yeah, that one was Uh, weird because it was like done social distance
1: yeah so it was kind of weird might i suggest looking into joe exotic's inspiration doc Antle? i've had doc Antle in my list of things to do for a while now and i just can't bring myself to doing it and i say that as someone who's currently in the middle of doing a five episode series on how we get how we got to QAnon. so i'm not really sure what my hang up on it is i'll do doc Antle. all right i I have no fear i'll do doc Antle. His all female staff have been in physical relationships with him. He chooses their costumes, he has suggested body modification, and he has changed their names. He also insists they live on site in some sketchy ass trailers and if I remember correctly, he pays them minimum wage. He I don't I think some of them he pays minimum wage and some of them even lower. I think my actual the reason I was going to do it like right around when Tiger King happened and the problem was anytime I tried to look up any kind of information on Doc Antle, I couldn't find anything on just him. It was just a whole bunch of information on Joe Exotic that had mm-hmm. Doc Antle stuff in it. So it was really hard to actually find information. It might be a little bit easier now. I will look. Anyway, thanks so much, guys. I love listening to you at work. My, quote, office in my house. Yep. To help pass the time. Sincerely, True Neutral. Because they took a an alignment test. Do you want
0: to take this alignment test real quick and figure out what we are? Yeah, okay.
1: Let's see if we can figure this out. I don't like question three. Because question three is like half of my family. I don't give a shit. And the other half, absolutely not. Well,
0: think about, like, a direct family member.
1: Okay. Okay, I've got mine. Okay, I'm about to get mine. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm boring. What's you, what are you? I'm chaotic good. I'm neutral good. Okay. We're both good people. Why am I not more chaotic? Oh, I'm pretty chaotic, though.
0: <laughs> I, am, uh, I am completely good. I am just about as lawful as I am neutral, but I am much more chaotic.
1: I... I am way more good than neutral or evil. Uh, neutral and chaos, though, are getting up there. I I am not lawful at all, which does not <laughs> surprise me.
0: I am I am incredibly chaotic, uh, but I'm about as lawful as I am neutral, like I said. But I am incredibly chaotic, and I'm overwhelmingly good, apparently.
1: Yeah, I'm overwhelmingly good I'm as well. I'm apparently a little evil. A little. A little evil. I'm all surprised right. I'm not more uh chaotic actually because all the law questions i was like no fuck you
0: yeah there was a lot of questions where it was like do you support your local government and i said no no <laughs> <laughs> down with the monarchy <laughs> no i do not thank you lawful nu- thank you true neutral for this
1: yeah and then should that should we just stop there because uh yeah it's getting let's, kinda long.
0: let's save this last email for a next time
1: yeah All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for everything, Christina. Well, you're welcome, Chelsea. I hope
0: that you enjoyed this tale of UFOs and bureaucratic incompetence. If you, listener, have a UFO that you saw or a member of your family saw, we would love to hear about it. You have recommendations for the podcast or if you have a correction about something we said, feel free to email all of those things to us. If you live in, where was it, Minnesota, and you know how that place is pronounced? minnesota minnesota please tell me because uh i don't know how it's pronounced i would love to know but yep. where can they email us chelsea culture conspiracies at gmail.com we also have a whole bunch of social media accounts you can reach us through there's our twitter
1: at c3 podcast there is our facebook facebook.com slash conspiracies fuck mark zuckerberg there is our twitch channel twitch.tv slash three c's prod that's twitch.tv slash t-h-r-e-e-s-e-a-s-p-r-o-d and i have committed myself to live uh streaming all of the debates with my commentary so get ready for that (laughs) if they actually end up i'm doing the vice presidential debate on wednesday well we'll see what happens there do you know about the rest of the presidential debates though
0: (laughs) we'll see if they happen yeah i mean by the time this comes out that one will have already passed Right. But uh, yeah, no idea. (laughs) And we also have a website if you forgot any of the links Chelsea just said or if you want to know a little bit more about us. CultScriptedConspiracies.com. And what you could also do is you could fake an elaborate UFO sighting. And then when the Air Force's new version of their UFO investigation team shows up at your house, you can plug our podcast.
1: Yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah, That'll be fun. That'd be delightful. Yeah. Well, bye, Christina. Bye, Chelsea. Bye, Mal. Bye, Mal. I can still hear his voice.
0: Have you seen to co- spin off from the Twilight Zone? mentioned, Have you seen that ghost of that that ghost? What am I saying? Have you seen that joke that talks about the Twilight Zone, where it's the one episode's like, imagine like if two astronauts were on the moon and one of them killed the other one with a rock? Wouldn't that be messed up? Um, do you know that joke? <laughs> yeah. Somebody said that that was just an explanation of, it's like, that is just Among
1: Us, the game. Oh my god, it is.
0: <laughs> Imagine if there were two astronauts and one of them just killed another one. Wouldn't that be messed up?
1: Yeah. I really want to play Among Us in the, the tag mode, though, or the hide and seek mode. Do you know about that one? Yes, I do. It's I've also
0: yeah. called it, uh, that's also been called the Dead by Daylight mode.
1: Oh, Yeah because i have some friends who are like "Mm, i really don't want to play where everyone's like being kind of like lying to each other and it because i have some friends with trauma and it kind of triggers them but when no one is lying about their intentions then it's just hide and seek it's just hide and and that's fun
0: then it's just panic (laughs) mel you can cut this out or put this at the end of the podcast i have to tell you this story chelsea Yes, please. It's so funny. I was playing Among Us with some random nerds on the internet from the other Mm -hmm. server, the fandom server I'm in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in one instance, we blundered our way to victory purely by accident because somebody found a dead body and uh, saw someone venting in the room, but did not see who it was who vented. They just saw like the vent closing. So okay. they immediately reported the body and they mm-hmm. said, I saw you do it. I saw you vent. I know it was you. Just give yourselves up. And there was a long pause. where Everyone's like, who are they talking about? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then one of them said, okay, you know what? I." And then <laughs> everyone just immediately <laughs> voted for them. <laughs> and after everyone voted and they got put out and they got vented as the imposter the person's like I didn't actually see who it was I saw somebody vent but I didn't actually see who it was (laughs) and then that's amazing and then in the next round uh somebody else died in the in the like the game Mm -hmm. next round somebody else because we had two imposters and uh everyone was just kind of like I didn't see who it was I don't know who it was And I was like, I think it's this person. And they were like, what? Why? And I was like, I don't know. You just seem suspicious to me. I think it's this person. And I had no basis for that in the slightest bit other than they just kind of seemed shady. Sus. It's just they were just sus. And I had absolutely no basis for my opinion. Um, And as far as I could tell, they had done nothing wrong and no one could tell they had done anything wrong either. But everyone's just kind of like, yeah, sure. And they just voted that person out. (laughs) And they were the other (laughs) imposter. and as they were venting they're like I'm sick of this game I'm sick of it I didn't even do anything it was so that good was like,
1: I don't remember if you were I think you were there when I got voted out as the imposter when in the one round where I hadn't actually killed anyone
0: yes I was there for that
1: where you hadn't <laughs> killed like, them but we bullshit. voted for you anyway this is bullshit I didn't even kill anyone this round <laughs> I love it when that happens yeah, yeah, that was delightful. I just had to tell those stories. My apologies. I appreciate that. I'm trying to get Mal to bring me my water, but he hasn't. i get You're, my water real quick. He's ill. Let, let him he's live. fine. He's fine. Let him live.
3: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.